Welcome back, everybody. Now it's time to welcome Mr. Mr. Tim Klett to the Tip Podcast. Tim's here today to talk about his experiences with leadership and relatability for the leader. Tim, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Um, use that term, Mr. a little loosely, though. <laughs> I know how much, how, uh, how much you enjoy the endearing term of Mr. and how quickly you told me to stop using it uh, when we chatted a few times before today. I put my pants on the same way everybody else does out there. I can appreciate yeah. that. Um, so real quick for any listeners who may not know who you are, could you please uh, introduce yourself and uh, a little bit of a little background on uh, where you came from, who you are and your experiences with leadership? All right. Um, well, I'm, of course, I'm Mr. <laughs> Tim Collette. Uh, I was born and raised uh, in, in outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, I joined the volunteer fire service, a place called Newington, Connecticut, in 1978 <laughs> um, as a 16-year-old. And I got sworn in as a full-time firefighter there in um, 1980. And I did uh, about five and a half years there. And then I went to the city of New Britain Fire Department, which was a paid job. And I stayed there just under four years. And that's when I went to the FDNY in uh, October of 90. And I just recently retired after doing about uh, close to 31 years there. And I retired as a lieutenant. Awesome. That's, it sounds like a, quite a bit of experience. Is New Britain and uh, Hartford, that's in New England. Do you think that the styles and manners in which you, uh, like the experience that you had that brought you up, do you think that helped prepare you for working <clears throat> in New York City? Well, what I think is that, um, and it isn't a slight against anybody else from New York City, because those guys are all, you know, everybody I worked with was great. But, sure. you know, I came from a small place and I worked in a small paid fire department. Then I went to a very big paid fire department. And it gives me an appreciation for um, what small fire departments can do with the staffing that they have. Um, you know, the fires are no different whether you go from New York to a, a Hartford or New Britain or New Haven or any small, you know, mid-city town. Um, in the, in this country. So I think it gave me um, a better appreciation for uh, how smaller places get the job done and they do the same with less. And then going to New York City um, gave me a lot of the skills that, you know, I could bring back and, and talk to those smaller places about. Well, it gives me appreciation for how smaller places, you know, did the same work with, with less manpower. You know, New York City was was manpower heavy. You know, every truck had six guys. Every engine had at least five. Uh, where I worked in the city of New Britain, we had four, sometimes three. And, uh, you know, we were going to some good fires up there. And, and uh, you know, we were doing the same work and trying to get the same jobs done with half the manpower. So it gave me an appreciation uh, and a well-roundedness of how the American Fire Service is. I mean, it just isn't you know, six-man trucks, five-man engines. It's two-man engines, you know, and three-man trucks. So uh, I, I think it's given me an appreciation and, and an ex an education on how smaller places do it. Sure. The department that I work in, uh, when I first got promoted to the rank of lieutenant eight years ago, it was uh, four people in the firehouse, and mm -hmm. they would cross-staff, engine, truck, rescue squad, whatever you had, ambulance as well. And uh, there were a few times you go out the door, and it's you and the driver, and you show up, and there's a fire. So you do your 360, you talk on the radio, you take, you take command, your driver pulls the line to the front door, then, I mean, you got to go put the fire out and people start showing up and, you know, that next unit could be a volunteer company with six, five, four, three guys, however many, or it could be another career company, career crew that shows up with two, you yeah. know, and it's, it's I always definitely, ask a lot of, 
in a lot of classes I do, I ask the guys, you know, like from smaller places, you know, you get on, a, you get on an engine or you get on a truck, but you still, just because you're, you know, basically some of those smaller places, they're big taxi cabs because you can show up on a truck at a fire in a small place and get asked to put a hand line in operation. Whereas you can show up on an engine company and be asked to do truck work. Sure. Um, so the smaller places, those guys re really, really need to be well-rounded in their education on what they know and how that's how to operate, because you really never know, you know, what you're going to be asked to do when you get there in those, in those small places. In New York city, I was a Lieutenant for 19 years in 88 engine and, uh, never asked once to pull a ceiling. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that I, th I don't want to say gets lost in translation, but I think when you work in large departments like that, you're able to be more uh, niche in your, your abilities and the things in, that you're responsible for. You know, you could go 20 years of only driving the engine and you don't do anything else. Whereas some of these smaller places, you know, you could be in a matter of hours, you could be driving a ladder truck, riding the back of an engine, riding the back of a rescue squad, cutting car. I mean, it, the versatility or, the officer, even. or, or yeah. even being the officer, which, yeah, I mean, you could after three o'clock in certain departments after three o'clock, it, it could, the, the mm -hmm. officer and, and the technician, the, the normal driver could leave for the day. It's the two firefighters for a two man, 24 hour yeah. shift house. And, and it's you. And, yeah. and I think it's all about versatility. I mean, you have to be able to be competent and confident in your basic skills, abilities, and knowledge to be able to take those days and those calls as they come. Um, but I think, and I'm really glad that you brought up the, the, uh, small town stuff. I, and, and my biggest thing here is, is relatable, relatability in smaller departments. I think when there's less guys, less girls working in these departments, you know, it's, it's a small community. And, and when it comes to relatability as a, as a, as a Lieutenant or as any officer, I mean, you, you got to care about these guys and girls that you work with. Right. And I think it makes a lot of things very personable. You know what I mean? It's not like you could work somewhere in a large department with several thousand people where, you know, you may work with this guy today and you may never see him again, I guess. I, I don't really know how those things well, work in those large departments, but, you know, even though they're large, they're still very, very small as well. So I think, you, you know, as, as an officer, you, you have to be very, very relatable. So, so some of those, that relatability thing you said, it's funny you brought that up because I, I just got done doing the company's officers leadership training for the state chiefs. Mm -hmm. And a couple of locations, you know, one guy got up at, we had a round table at the end and he kind of directed a question towards me and he says, you know, I, I get it. And all he goes, but a lot of what you talked about isn't, isn't relatable or isn't, you know, doesn't carry over to a smaller place. He says, we have one fire truck. So I asked him, I just said, okay, let me ask you a question though. When that truck goes out the door, is there an officer in the front seat? And he looked at me and I says, is there an officer? And he says, well, yeah, I go. So what's the difference? You're still commanding, whether it's two firefighters or three firefighters or five firefighters, you still have to act as an officer and you have to understand the people that are on that fire truck. And sometimes it's a little bit harder in, in like a volunteer place because you don't know who's going to be on that fire truck. It's different every time, sure. you know, but it's, you, you still have to have that personal connection to know what's going on. I always said that, you know, when, when I hand out assignments, you know, I need to know what's going on in someone's life outside the firehouse. Um, you know, I could have the best nozzle man in the world. And if he's got to have troubles at home or he just got served with papers and he's, his head is in the right place, you sure. know, I might not be giving him the nozzle for the night tour. 
um, just just to keep him because his mind is elsewhere. And that's where that personal aspect, knowing your firefighters. But I always say also that decisions aren't personal. You know, I, I have people say, oh, you don't give me the nozzle because you don't like me. And, I, and that's never the case. I mean, if you're competent with something, you're always up to get that assignment. So, you know, when you're making decisions for them, it's not personal. You want to assign the best firefighter to the task to get that task done. But also when you're assigning those tasks, you have to have a personal connection to your firefighters to know what's going on in their lives. So you're not going to be telling them, you know, at the, you know, the put up the shut up fire that, you know, you know, you want this guy VES in the second floor and his head might not be in the right place to do that in that, in, in at that time frame, you know? Sure. No, absolutely. And you know, I'm going to, I want to roll right into uh, the beginning of everything and, I'm going to quote a book you may have heard of. It's called Fire Notes, Fireground Skills, yeah. and Fireground Language, Stretching and Operating the First Line. And if you go to the engine company members and responsibilities, responsibilities prior to fire operations in the firehouse, specifically on page 45, the engine company officer. The engine company is still the foundation of the fire service, and the engine officer should be the strength of that unit. He should have knowledge of every aspect of the fire service in order to deal with any situation that might arise. And most importantly, which is why I bring this part of the book up, the officer should gain the trust of his firefighters. They need to know that they can trust him, not only on the fire ground, but in the fire firehouse as well. And that is out of your book that you wrote. Um, many years ago. <laughs> many years ago, I believe. Oh, we'll leave it at many years ago. Um, 2004 is what it says. Um, and that rolls me into, you know, you have to be decisive. You have to make this personal connection and, and relatability specifically, which is why I wanted this to be a topic for today. You know, you're going to have to make decisions, right? So what I want to talk about is making unpopular decisions. Unpopular decisions, I think, I mean, you're, you know, you kind of chuckled, which I, I feel like you know exactly where I'm going with this. Um, making unpopular decisions, in my opinion, in my experience, is probably is probably the most difficult thing for any officer, regardless of how many years you have on, how much time yeah. you have in the fire well, department. I think it's second to, I think making unpopular decision is second to discipline. You know, like, sure. like people have trouble with discipline, but you know, like I, uh, you know, uh, making un unpopular decisions. You know, I, I I would always tell officers, young guys would ask me what I thought, and I would say never apologize for doing your job you know you get paid or you know you get put in that position to make unpopular decisions that's why they have it's not a democracy you know like sure. i always say like when you're making decisions in the firehouse you know for the paid side if you're in the firehouse a lot of decisions that happen within the firehouse you know i'll leave that up to the guys what we're having for lunch whatever I don't care when, you know, when they want to start cleaning up the firehouse, whatever, when they wash the rig, whatever, you know, I did have a few in the firehouse non-negotiables and one of those was drilling, you know, uh, that was a non-negotiable for me. Uh, we were going to do something, whether it took every piece of hole off the rig or sat around the kitchen table and talked about something. But I think that firefighters uh, below the, without a rank have to understand that, you know, there's a lot of things on both sides of the spectrum that paid and volunteer. That, that come down that pipe um, to the company level officer that they, they're supposed to act on. And I always say, you'd be shocked on how much stops at that office. That, you know what, I'm just not gonna do that. That's ridiculous. You know, I'm not gonna bring that to the apparatus floor. 
But but if, but if an unpopular decision makes it to the apparatus floor, you know, it's out of my control. And I had I have no issues making those decisions. I just didn't. And I think that you got to be comfortable in your own skin uh, and knowing that an unpopular decision is for the good of the entire company and maybe not a certain, uh, not, not single individual, because we sure. do have to look at the company and how we, you know, how we operate outside the doors of the firehouse. And if the unit isn't conducive in the firehouse, it isn't going to be conducive outside that firehouse. So, you know, and, and, and that unpopular decision along with discipline you know, I always ask the group, you know, you think discipline's good or bad for morale? And most people, they're right. It's, it's, it's good for morale because in most of the cases where I've had to make an unpopular decision and discipline somebody, you know, you'll hear it. Someone will come up to you and say, you know, Lou, it's about time. You know, the, the firefighters know there's an issue before it gets to the office. They know. And they're just waiting to see what the office is going to do. And I think that's, you know, you have to be decisive. And that's where you start building, you, you use that word trust too. And that's where you start building that, being, being decisive on those unpopular decisions. Because most times an unpopular decision, you know, if you start breaking it down and look at it, most of the firefighters will align with you when that decision comes out. Sure. Do you ever find yourself, or did you ever find yourself <clears throat> when you were in the, um, when you were in the firehouse where, you had something come down from above you, whether it was the station captain or a battalion chief or something where you kind of looked at it and you just let it be. I, I think there's something to be said about when, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. You always try to filter things that come from above you. When something stupid comes down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess being blunt is probably the best way to do it. Uh, sometimes there's going to be things, there's going to be things that are going to come down from someone that either outranks you from above you, whatever it is. Um, you know, you should always be, in my opinion, pushing good things down and holding bad things up, keeping it away. And, um, you know, it, well, it's not always, it's not always easy. I think at times, because what I would tell guys is, listen, you know, you're not going to take the bullet all the time. If there's something that's got to be corrected, you just can't take the bullet for that. Sure. But there are things, and I'll tell you a story about one thing that came down that, you know, I was willing to take the bullet, the bullet for. And I didn't need any credit. And I didn't even let the guys didn't even know what happened. You know, I knew in my, I knew in my heart it was wrong. And I would be willing to take the bullet. And we had a spare rig. And uh, we were, I had just called the shops. And we were getting our regular rig back in three days. Mm -hmm. There was a report that was due in four days about out-of-date hose which means that the battalion chief called me and wanted me to take all the hose off of the spare rig and check the dates that are stamped uh, on the couplings. And if there was any that was more than 10 years, I had to take them out of service. So I told the chief, I said, listen, we're getting our rig back on Saturday. We'll do it Saturday when we're switching rigs over. The, the chief was adamant. He was a, uh, he was the report guy. He goes, well, no, I'm leaving for vacation tomorrow and I want to get these reports in before I leave. And I told him right out, I go, well, you're not getting it. I'm not taking all the hose off the rig today to put it back on to take it off in two days. I'm just not going to do it. So we went back and forth and I ended up actually hanging up the phone on him. And, you know, he came over later on and we had a discussion about it. But, you know, you know, I was, you know, he's my superior and I was amicable to him. But, you know, I try to make them understand that it was a ridiculous order and it wasn't going to happen. And I was willing to take that bullet. You know, I'm sure everybody's come to that bridge. And, you know, is it worth trying to cross and take the bullet or is it, you know, like, listen, I just can't stop this. Sure. You know, 
Yeah. And, you know, I think there's sometimes there's things that come down where, and this is my personal experience where things come down and, and at its face value, you kind of look at it and you're kind of like, eh, not really sure if this is going to make a whole lot of sense. I'm going to pass it down anyway. And it comes back where the guys that work with you, you know, they agreed with the situation. They agreed with um, what was coming down. And it was kind of talked about to what you said earlier about the guys are going to know the problems in the situation before it ever makes it to the office. Um, there might be a, a tough uh, draw on that, but I, if, I don't know if that makes sense to what I'm saying or not. But um, it, No, it does. Because, you know, if I never even brought that downstairs. But what would have happened if I had brought down downstairs to the membership? And I even told the chief, I says, I'll send you a bunch of numbers that we got this many out of out of service, but they're not going to be factual. They're not going to be real. I said, yeah. give me two days. And I said, I'll personally make sure it's done on Saturday because I'm working and I will hand deliver the order. The, the report to the, whoever chief is working on Saturday. It was due Monday morning. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, how easy could it have been for you to give him some made up numbers? And I mean, it, he would have never known the difference, right? So most reports are made up numbers. Say it again. I couldn't most hear. reports are made up numbers. So be real. Sure. I mean, but you had the integrity to put your foot down and say, hey, chief, this is my decision. This is what my decision is. And this is why. I think well, there's something you know, like, to be said about that. So you, you as an officer have to have your, your, your threshold. And I think that you have to look at things what are important, not just, not just to the membership, but, but also to the people who are sworn to protect. And like hose is a big deal to me. I'm an engine guy and hose is a big deal. And if I'm going to, if I'm risking blowing, uh, bursting an out of date length of hose, it's going to be an issue for me. So I take it seriously. So I wasn't willing to make up numbers. I was the only guy we have a, we had a whole a floating hose chart in the firehouse. And I was the only guy that would, would take numbers off and put new numbers in when we took hose out of service. So we had really no count of what was coming in. I was the only guy that did it because it was that important to me. You know, some things that come down that, that aren't important, I'll give you a fake number. You know, they, they were looking for demographics about the number of uh, students that came in the firehouse. And I'm like, really? So I gave them some stupid number. This is, you know, we had this many of these kids, this many of these kids. It's just some stuff is stupid. Well, I think big picture wise, it's a, it's a minuscule moment in time for everything you have going on for that day and the overall goal of you of your shift and the guys and everything you need to do for that day. Where, I mean, you got to keep it moving, right? You got to keep working. You got to keep. Um, well, at least have a fire. plan. And at least have exactly have you know, a plan. You know, like I always tell, I always started my day with a plan. You know, we were going to do this. We were gonna let, I was going to let the guys wash the rig, clean the house get the meal. We're going to drill it this time. We're going to do this. And and everybody knows that, you know, the, the unforeseen issue there is you don't know when a run's going to come in or a fire's going to come in. And, but if you don't have a plan, you're dead in the water before your day starts. You got to have a plan of what you're going to do for the day. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so what do you think about the op, the importance of operational discipline? Since we've kind of talked about um, a few different things when it comes to you know, what to pass along and what, you know, what not to pass along, when to hand out discipline. What do you think about operational discipline, doing your job that you're assigned and not doing um, whatever it is that you want? I know that's been kind of a buzz and that I've noticed recently in, in the fire department and not just the fire department, just things in general, people kind of just do what they want, which is the whole point of why we're supervisors and why we're leaders is to, to keep people on the path of doing the right thing and doing their jobs. Well, you, you, you know, firefighters need to realize that if they, you have an assigned task, 
there's other things that are happening that rely on that task being done. No matter how minute you might think it be, you know, pushing holes around a corner. If you decide that isn't glory enough for you and you want to go and, and search an off room or go above, you know, that line now can't make the last room and the fire doesn't go out. So something as minuscule as that. So if, if you have an assigned task, and I'm not saying you cannot deviate from a task, you know, it's not freelancing if you see something else that requires attention and you take care of it. You have to notify someone, your your immediate officer, hey, listen, you know, this is happening over here. I'm going to take care of this and I'll be right back. That's not freelancing. That's taking care of a problem without notifying your officer and just going and taking care of that same problem. Then that's freelancing because you've put it in the officer's hands to either agree with you doing that or saying, no, I'll radio ahead for someone else to do that. I need you to hump hose around that corner. So it, there's no issue in my book. Like if you see something that requires attention, if you radio head say, listen, this is, I see this going on, then the officer can make the decision whether he wants to let you do it or, or find someone else to get that done. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a stickler. Like if you have an assigned job, no matter what it is and no matter how lowly it might seem, you know, you, you should take that and, and, and be the best at it. You know, if your job is to chalk doors, then be the best door chalker there is. You know? Yes. Yeah. And you know, the, that's the other thing too. That's the other side of it that I feel like sometimes may not get enough attention is, you know, you could be the RIT team five out of six times on, on you know, five out of six times, that's six times you're the first new engine and you get a kick-ass fire and you get to do your job. You do everything you train for and, and you get to um, do what we all love to do. I think that sometimes the big picture is lost in the assignment where somebody will be like, well, I don't want to do RIT, so I'm just going to change my do. I'm going to change to whatever, and now I can pull a handline. Well, big picture-wise, RIT's very important. You, you know what I mean? I mean, if anybody needs help and the RIT team's not there because they're off doing something else. I mean, hey, it's your, it's your turn in the bucket. That's, you exactly. know, it's like handing out assignments in the engine. I can only give one guy the nozzle. It's as simple as that. You know, and you, you may have the backup of the door. You know, it's just your turn in the bucket. It's as simple as that. I don't know what to tell you. You know, if it's your turn sure. to be the RIT team, it's your turn to be the RIT team. And sure. you know, you've, you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror the next day and actually be able to tell yourself you did the right thing by saying, well, I didn't want to be the RIT guy. I'm going to stretch a line. And then two, a guy's trapped in the attic and there's no one here to go get them. You know, if you're comfortable with saying it was more important to do whatever you felt like doing, yet a guy's now in the burn center because you didn't do your assigned task, hey, knock yourself out. But I don't know if I could look myself in the mirror and say I was justified in deviating from that assignment because, you know, it's the only very few things we do on the fire ground are for us. Sure. And the RIT team is one of them. Do you know what I mean? We bring very few tools to the fire ground for us. You know, the air pack is one of them. So, you know, like, you know, nobody wants to drill in the air pack, but it's the only tool we bring. So learn that, know that thing. And that was what I did with the probies that came 88. We drilled hard on that air pack because uh, the SCBA, because I, they, you needed to be intimate with it. And, and the same thing with the RIT team. If that's your assignment, you know, um, especially the officer, you better have the discipline to, to one, you know, keep, keep that crew at the ready. And two, being a little, little proactive enough 
instead of just standing there and, and, and talking to uh, a firefighter you haven't seen in six months uh, in front of the fire building and, and not taking in what's going on. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big responsibility when it comes time for that responsibility to be used. Most times, you know, you, you stand out there, you don't do anything. But when that RIT team is, is activated, it's a huge responsibility. And um, if you're comfortable with take, uh, taking a lackadaisical attitude about it, you know, you better be able to look yourself in a mirror. Sure. And, you know, I think over time, as you're doing these things, you know, small improvements over time will lead to big improvements down the road. And I think when you start to become that company that, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone really worries about what other people think as far as, you know, um, well, I wonder what the battalion chief, I don't think a lot of guys really worry about that or are concerned about that. However, I do think you want to be that company that is dependable. Like when they look at engine one, they know, all right, they all have their stuff together. They pay attention to detail. They got their gear on. They got it on the right way. They do the right thing every time. Their engine, their apparatus gets put where it needs to be in the correct place. Every time they pull the correct hand line, they do their responsibilities. They don't deviate. If they do deviate, they communicate. And typically, if there's discretion used by the officer, he's using the right discretion. All those small things over time add up. And now you have a battalion chief or, or a shift commander or whoever, and um, they can trust you. They can trust you as a company, they trust you as an officer, and they trust your firefighters that they know what they're doing. And, and I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, if, if command is looking for a company to do something and engine one standing there and they look at engine two, three, four, and five, and they're like, all right, well, we have to pick somebody. We're going to pick engine one. We want, you want to be that guy and girl. That's, that, and, is, like, that is 100% true. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'll tell you a quick story because it Go happened. But so I – and we'll just go back a little bit about getting better each time. You know, like everybody talks about experience and, oh, that guy's experience. And, and I say, yeah, that guy's been to a lot of fire, but he still sucks. You know, and I'm sure you know people that have been around a long time that's got a lot of experience that are like worthless. And the problem with that, the problem with that person is he's not using his experiences the next fire. So I always say, listen, every drill, every fire, every time to go to work, learn one more, just one thing. That's it. I'm not looking to change the world in a day, but take one thing away. You know, when you walk out of a class that I give, I, I'm hoping you're one thing better than you were when you came in. And at the end of the week, you're seven things better. And at the end of the you know, month, you're 30 things better. And at the end of the year, you're 365 things better. You sure. know what I mean? And then that sure. company begins to gel and, and you get, a, you get a, uh, an officer that's decisive and they, and they know your training and you show up ready to go to work. I mean, how many times you walk up to the fire scene and there's guys talking, their coats are open, you know, they don't have their masks on. Um, I'm not talking a face piece. I'm talking the SCA itself. Sure. And, you know, I went to a fire one night and I walked and uh, chief Salka was in the division. He was acting there. The, he was ADC. And uh, we, we were second on the second alarm. So they had the extra engine was still waiting the first new engine on the second alarm was there. And I walked up and I said, chief, I'm second on a second. So I stepped back away from the command post and I hear the rescue calling for a line on the top floor. The, the top floor was taken off. So he turns around, he looks at the three engines, me and two other engines. And he calls me over, Timmy, come here. I said, yeah, chief. He goes, can you put this fire out for me? I said, chief, they're ahead of me. And I pointed to the other two engines and he looked right at me. He said, I don't give a shit. Can you put this fire out? And I said, yeah, I can do it. And we got put to work because he knew we were going to put that fire out. And when the, when the proverbial, you know what, hits the fan, 
Sure. And the chief turns around. He's looking for the company, right? That that he knows is going to get that job done. The, the company that's squared away, that trains, that looks the part, that knows the part, and that's what they're looking for. You know, on game day, they don't. They're not going to pussyfoot around. You know, when it's put up or shut up time, they're looking for that company. That dependable company. <clears throat> yes, a well-trained, well-motivated, dependable company. So, what do you think about sometimes with? Uh... You know, I think there's always fires, you know, in-station situations, things like that, that sometimes, even if you do your absolute best as a, as a leader, as an officer, um, where sometimes, you know, you kind of screw up. You kind of you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're handling the situation correctly, and you're just not. And I, I think there's something to be said about failure. I, I think failure is a good thing. I think failure keeps us honest. Um, and unfortunately, failure is gonna it's gonna hammer your ego. I had a big ego, and, and I got smacked down quite a few times over my time as an officer. And fire's got a funny way of doing that. Fire's got a funny way of doing that. However, however, I've found the most impactful um, uh, cage rattles is I guess a good way to say that has come from people that I work with on my shift coming up to me, being like, "Hey, we need to talk." Sucks. I mean, I'm sure anyone's ego doesn't like that. But, and, and you got to, you know, you got to go with it, right? You got to well, listen to those and guys. And you know what? The, listen, the failure, just so you know, the failure isn't the problem. The problem is how you deal with the failure afterwards. That's the issue. You know, I've never been to a fire where everything went right. And I used to challenge myself. After fires, I would go up in my office and I would beat my head on the desk saying, I should have done this and I should have done that and I should have done this. If you can't critique yourself and be humble about the fact that, hey, this one's on you. Sure. You know, but the failure isn't the problem because I've never been to a fire or anything right. The failure, the problem is how you deal with the failure afterwards. That's the issue. And most people, you know, there's a lot of people in this in this in the fire service that can, well, the fire went out. You know, that's their that's their answer to a failure. Nobody got hurt and the fire went out. Okay, yeah. Well, nobody got hurt because no one was trapped. And the fire only went out because uh, it, it, you know, the firewall stopped, you know. Yeah. That's not an answer to a fail. Well, the fire went out. And I had a guy say that to me in class. Well, the fire went out. I says, you don't think you could have done a better job? You know, and what if the parameters of that fire were a little bit different and you acted the same way? Or if you get the same fire tomorrow and the parameters different and you don't improve or learn from the failure of that fire. And, you know, I always... And I tell guys this, as an officer, you've got to learn a couple of things. You own what you, you, you know, you defend what you can and you own what you can't. You know, if, if you screw up and, and, you know, a chief or someone else walks up to you, you know, try to defend something that's undefendable at a fire. You, you sound like an idiot. You know, you own it. It's not me, chief. I screwed up. You know, whether, whether you had anything to do with it or not, if that company screws up at a fire, whose fault is it? It's the company officer, hands down. Sure. Sure. If the company does good at a fire, who gets the credit? The guys. The guys, sure. right? So, and that's, a, you know, and that's sometimes I always say that's a bridge too far for some guys to, because, and I, I, I put this in my class and, and I think that when I first read this thing out of a book, uh, it impressed me so much. And uh, it was about, you know, it's about the German army during World War II and, and uh, what the, how they train their officers. 
And they were the fighting force that they were because their company level officers um, were trained so well and, and be able to, were able to make great decisions on the fly. And this one guy, he wrote about the training and goes, and I think it resonates for the fire service and for young officers. And the quote is, you know, the enthusiastic acceptance of responsibility is the most dominant characteristic which we, which much, which we must demand of our company level officers. And I think that statement should be posted on the wall of every, every officer's training clubs. And I'll say it again, the, the enthusiastic acceptance of responsibility is the most dominant characteristic which we must demand of our company level officers. And, you know, I read that and I was like, holy cow, that's it in a nutshell. For me, at least I thought it was. Sure. You know, the funny thing about the German army is uh, when they were disbanded after World War One, and I'm, I'm not a big history guy, but I have heard you use this quote before. And the biggest thing that they did, and I think if I remember correctly, Hitler focused on was they went back and they focused all their time and money on training their sergeants and their, and their uh, non-commissioned officers to get mm-hmm. get them squared away to eventually train the army to move into World War II, which is very interesting because that was 80, 90 years ago. And even then, however long ago World War II was, even then, not in the fire department, this is just getting a group of people to accomplish a goal was training and focusing on leadership. So it's clearly test. It's clearly standing the test of time. So when it comes to um, everything that we just talked about, sometimes, again, like I said, you may kind of screw up, I think, as a leader. I think there's going to be times where you mess up and, you know, you kind of Well, if you don't mess up, then you've never made a decision. Exactly correct. And one thing that I unfortunately have personally um, experienced a few times was, using discretion of a situation and then realizing you made a bad decision and it can impact the trust and respect of your crew. What do you think about how to rebuild those things? Like, let's say hmm. not maliciously, you just, you made it, you, you thought this was the right way to handle something and you were wrong and everything has an impact because ultimately, you know, how you carry yourself, what you do and the things that you say and do are going to affect people's trust their respect well, and how they perceive you. So, and just about every class I, I, I teach, I talk about the trust factor because sure. to me, it's, a, it's, it's huge. And, you know, trust is a real funny thing. It's a powerful thing. You know, the, tr- the truth is a very powerful thing too. You know, a lot of people don't want to know the truth, you know, and, you know, and like I told my kids, you know, it's going to hurt you more than the truth is a lie. And that's the same thing. Like, you know, in the firehouse, you know, the, you got to be trustworthy. You got to be truthful. And, you know, you start lying, they're going to, and it'll break down that trust. Um, they have to trust you implicitly. And, and trust is a real funny thing because, you know, it takes a long time to get to that level. It's not one good decision. You go, wow, that guy's great. I'm going to trust him with my life. It, it takes time to get there. And it takes a split second to lose it. One poor decision, like you said, to lose sure. it. Um, and I think, I, I think, the road back is, is a tough road back. You know, I mean, if you look at trust, it's a very, very tough road back. I, I think that ownership of, of a poor decision, I think, you know, will we'll turn that vehicle back in the right direction. Uh, you've, if you try to defend it and it's a poor decision, you're going to lose. So you, you got to take ownership of it and, um, and go from there. And, 
you know, hopefully your decisions down the road prove that you're, you know, you're, you're truly dedicated to the, to, the, to the company itself and to the members of that company. And, you know, I, I think you can get back there. Will it ever be where it was? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's trust is a funny thing. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. And you just have to do the best that you can take it one day at a time and, and, you know, exercise good judgment and, and just move forward. And one thing I've always noticed, and this isn't, this is just in general, once something happens and you drop it and move on, like you can't dwell on it. You, you know what I mean? I don't think there's anything wrong with like seeking advice or, you know, um, chatting about it with whatever sources that you have, but you know, the people that you're working on building trust with again, own it, admit it, own it, move on. And then, well, you know, make every best, every decision that you can moving forward, make the best. I had that conversation uh, with a member and, and, you know, after I got done talking to him about what had happened, you know, I said to him, as far as I'm concerned, this is over. When you walk out that door, you're never going to hear about this again from me. As far as I'm concerned, we've had our discussion. We've straightened it out. It's over. Now, if you want to go down in the kitchen and, and talk to the members and keep this thing up, that's fine by me. That's on you. But you're, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's over. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, this is over. It's a dead deal. It's a dead issue. We're going to move on from here. And it's not, it's not going to come back. Sure. And I think that, I think it's just as important as owning it as just dropping it and moving forward. Cause I think the yes. more you dwell on it, the more you talk about it, because you could have people that, you know, I, I don't know how this would happen, but you could have somebody that there's a, whatever that situation is, you kind of, you eat some humble pie, you say, yeah, I screwed up. But then you talk about it three or four months later, man, I can't believe I did that. Well, they might've already forgot about it. Now you just reminded yeah. them. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I've been guilty of that too. And it's, it's a weird road, man. It, it's, there's, I think there's something to be said about the balance of humility. I, I think you should be humble, but I also think you shouldn't be too humble. But you got to forgive yourself and say, I did the best that I could. I screwed up. I owned it. And you got to drop it. But keep in the back well, of your mind. You know what will happen if you don't drop it? You know, like, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, that being able to eat some humble pie and being humble about everything you do. But if you don't drop it and it's still there, it's going to affect your decision making. It's going to affect your decisiveness. And, yeah. and I tell guys, you want to fail as an officer, be indecisive. Hey, I don't know anybody that, that out there that hasn't made a poor decision. A real officer will make a poor decision, own it, get over it, and continue to make good decisions from there on. If they don't own that and, and that's in their head and it pops up every time they got to make a decision, they're going to start making more and more poor decisions leading to the failure of that company officer. So sure. you've got to let it go. It'll affect that. It definitely will eat away at that decisiveness in your decision-making process. And that'll make you make worse, even worse decisions. Cause now instead yes. of thinking with a clear mind, you're like, well, wait, wait a minute, I screwed up this last time. Oh man, I don't want to make. And then all of a sudden now you lost your edge on being able to, you know, execute, make a decision, execute, <laughs> and then move on to the next task at hand. And I think, you know, a lot of those things come from experience. And I think a lot of those things, quite frankly, comes from utterly failing, owning it, moving forward. And then the next time it's going to pop in your head. You're like, all right, well, I screwed up this decision last time. All right, well, I made the right decision this time. And then that gives you even more confidence moving forward. It could be the same decision, but a different situation. Yeah. Do you know and what I mean? You know, the, you're making decisions based on the situation. I'm not making decisions to say, okay, this is what the book says. It sure. could be the exact same decision, 
but applied to a different situation. And that's why you've got to own that and get rid of it and, and flush it down the toilet. And, you know, tomorrow's a new day. You know, like I said, have an etch-a-sketch brain. Shake your head and it's a whole new day. <laughs> sure. sure. And how much of that do you think comes from confidence? Confidence in your abilities, knowing you know what you're doing. You've proven yourself, but you just made a mistake. Like, how much of that do you think comes from it? Because I think confidence is everything. But confidence comes from competence. Well, and, and I think that... You know, it's okay. Some, you know, like if you challenge yourself, you know, if you go close your office and you're like, ah, oh, you know, uh, I don't know if I, that's okay. But you have to, well, you're asking firefighters to do things that no one else in the world wants to do. And if you don't seem competent or confident, I mean, again, that bleeds, there's a bleed over there. You know, like you want to look at your guys or you look at your firefighters and you say, hey, we got this. We can do this. When the chief asks me, can you do this? He doesn't want anybody that's wishy-washy like, eh. You look right at the chief. You say, yeah, I got this, chief. I can do this. I want this assignment. That's why sure. I showed up ready to go to work. Sure. You know, I also think there's something to be said about when you're going to make a decision as the officer or a leader in, any, in general, and you're like, hey, guys, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and someone pipes up and goes, it's a bad decision, LT. We need to do A, B, and C, or whatever. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a second looking at it because I've had my experiences where I, I walked out. I had a, I had a plan. And somebody piped up, said, hey, I don't think that's going to work, said, this is why. And it, this, and when I talked to, talked to you about this conversation, this conversation happened in a matter of three seconds. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, all right, you know, yeah, you are right. Damn, I didn't think about that. And you go with it because – and that's a mutual trust and respect. Mm-hmm. They, they trust you and respect you enough to pipe up. And then, again, as respect and trust is a two-way street – you know you can rely on them, and you know. Because for me, though, for me, I, I I think it would have to be presented to me differently. Um, like, I, if if one of my firefighters said, "Hey," if I said we're going to do this, and one of my firefighters goes, "Lou, Lou, see what's going on over there," and I go, "Oh shit, let's let's change and do that." But I always say, to, for me, there was there was very little democracy on the fire line. Sure. You know, um, I, I, you know, if I made a decision. You know, I, I had taken a lot of factors in the, to, into play with it. Um, sure. But, but there, my, my information gathering was from a lot of different sources because I was in a bigger place. In a smaller place, the only other information that you might get might be from someone in your company. So, again, that's, you know, there's a situational thing there that might differ from the size and the number of people you have on the fire ground. And in that sense, if you're putting four guys on the fire ground, and one comes up and says, Lou, I don't think that's going to work because of this, then, then that's not an issue either. But yeah. for me, because I took information in from, from other companies, from the chief, from, you know, there was a lot of ways I got information to base my decisions on. Sure. And, that, you know, and I guess to add a little context, it was a, a matter of uh, something that was important that would make us change our tactics. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think there is something to be said about being able to have that trust in guys and girls to give you decisions and you know hey lt uh this isn't gonna work blah 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 we're gonna do it it is gonna work or whatever however it is you would word that but um yeah, and then and then when we get back to the firehouse we we'll call those things post fire critiques and you know sure. now now you now we can discuss and and i think it's a you know it's more important than most people realize those post fire critiques not necessarily just about the fire itself but we talk about that trust and that, that company cohesiveness. Sure. 
if you're not willing as an officer to have an open discussion at the post-fire critique regarding anything, regarding that issue, hey, Lou, I think we should have done this. Well, at the fire round, we're not, we're not having that conversation. But they, the, the firefighters need to know when we're having that post-fire critique that they can speak their mind with no fear whatsoever of repercussions or retribution. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. have to, if you don't have that open discussion, if my firefighters don't believe they can say whatever they feel at a, at a post-fire critique, I'm not doing my job. And there's no trust there. That's the, you know, a simple way to find out whether they trust you is the first post-fire critique you go there. If they speak their mind, they trust you. you that trust is beginning to be built because they know that you're not going to come after them, that you're, you, you, you know, you want to hear what they feel, what they think. So not only the post-fire critiques are important to learn about the fire and to build off of it, but also, you know, for that trust factor, allowing the firefighters, that's their time. That's when they should be able to speak freely. Yeah. And you should also have that open door policy in the firehouse too, because I mean, you're, you're not, you're in the firehouse more than you're on running calls. Right. And I think that there's something to be said about the critique or uh, criticism, maybe critique is a better word, of things that you will get from guys and girls that you work with every single day as opposed to whatever, you know, evaluation you might get from, from a supervisor, right? Yeah. Because how many times have you heard the battalion chief or whoever, whatever the supervisor's title is, hey, guys, nice job, but you know in your mind, well, wait a minute, we didn't do a nice job. We screwed up. Why, why is that the response that I get? Like, th does that make sense to you? Well, it does because my expectations are, are – the, the expectations I put on myself and my company might be higher than the chiefs. You know, the fire, the chiefs sure. are happy when the fire goes out, <laughs> sure. you know, let's get real there. Um, but my expect, I, I set a higher bar, I, you know, when 88 showed up, you know, I want everybody to know, Hey, you know, Lieutenant Kletz here with 88 engine, you know, this thing's going to get, this thing's going to get better. Now every company felt that way. You know what I mean? So, but, but that, yes. that was me. I had that, you know, that was how I wanted my expectations and what I expected from my company was always higher than I would expect it of another company always. And, you know, if you're not willing to challenge yourself then you know, God forbid you challenge your own firefighters, you know, I'll tell you a story. And in, in, we had a fire, we ended up getting trapped on the top floor, my whole company. And, uh, you know, we were on a sixth floor and I heard on the radio, uh, we're losing the fourth floor. And I'm like, I'm going to say to myself, what did he say? And then I, two seconds later, it's out in the hallway on the fourth floor. And I'm, and I walk out of the apartment, I look at the stairs and it's really crappy coming up the stairs uh, real bad. So I turned to my guys and, and uh, I yelled, I go get the frig off the top floor right now. So we were able to get down. They got the fire. We ended up going back to work, but, um, and I took this as a compliment at first. And a guy said to me after the fire, he goes, Lou, I knew it was bad. I go, how? He says, you've never raised your voice at a fire. Now, would you take that as a compliment? I'm asking you a question. Um, I don't know. I, don't... I did it first. I did it first. And then I got back to the firehouse and I thought to myself, uh, how bad did I screw up that the one time in my career I should have been the most calm, you I yelled. You know, I mean, that's how I challenged myself. That's the level of critique that, and it's always critique. Criticism is behind your back and it's one-sided. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You know, so I would never call it criticism. It, you know, uh, it, it, I critique myself.
and then I would critique, would critique it, and we'd have that discussion. Criticism is one guy going, you guys suck, and then walking away. It's a one-sided aspect. So that's the level that I would challenge myself at after fires. Simply three, you know, four words, get the fuck off the top floor, whatever number of words that is, in, sure. a, in, a, in an octave higher than I normally speak in at a fire. And that's where, I, and I felt terrible. And I told the guys, I apologized to them for yelling. Imagine that. And that's, yeah. you know, that's where I think company officers, because that responsibility thing, you know, these guys are looking when it gets, you know, I should have looked at them and said, listen, this is going to be okay. What I need you to do is to get off the top floor and I'll be right down. I mean, I could have said that and it would have had the same result. You know, and I think that we as officers have to hold ourselves to a higher standard because you have two, three, four, whatever number of people that are looking to you for answers when, they, when they're out of them. Sure. And, you know, that, and that goes, goes right back into your book. I mean, it's very, it's very, uh, very clear. It says he should have a knowledge of every aspect of the fire service in order to deal with the situation that might arise, which could include deteriorating conditions, uh, decorum on when things are in a bad situation where everybody else is kind of panicky, things are kind of not going the way they should be. They should be looking at you, and you're there. Hey guys, let's go. Time to leave. It's not the way it you should be anymore. You have to be the voice of reason. It's as simple as that. Well, you let me ask. Be... No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you just have to be that guy, that voice of reason. So you brought up about uh, you initially took that as a compliment, then it quickly changed. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever had it where there's been situations where it was the exact opposite, where you handled yourself properly in, in a, a um, kind of a crappy situation where you're like, all right, well, we, you know, I need to make a decision here. I'm the officer. Hey, guys, you know, let's do X, Y, and Z. I mean, if you, you talk about the one, si one situation that you remember. I mean, I'm sure there's been tons and tons of good ones. Yeah, but I don't care about the good ones. Exactly. So that, that's the that's point. doing is, my job. Sure. I, I don't need to be told what I did right. Sure. Uh, I don't learn anything by that. Sure. And that's the point that I wanted to make is, you know, you could do a thing, because since we were talking about trust and, and respect is, and you said it yourself earlier, I mean, you could do tons of things right. And that one thing that you do wrong could define, define you, or it could be a bump in the road that you learn from and that you move on and, you learn from it and that's it. And it's behind you and it's over with. You drop it and you keep it moving. And, and you always try to get better and you, and you try to um, hold yourself to that higher standard that you talked about. And I think once you do those things consistently all the time, I think in time you're going to get yourself into a much better place. Yeah. So you know, I don't make decisions so I get praised over them. I make decisions no. because they're the right things to do. You know, like sure. if you, and again, if you're not willing to challenge yourself, you're not going to learn anything about yourself and, and about your company. And you've got to be willing to challenge yourself. You've got to be, if you're not, find another line of work. And get out of your comfort zone. I hate zone. to be blunt, but. No, no, bluntness is a good thing. You got to get out of your comfort zone too. Like, it's not fun to go and tell somebody, hey man, I really screwed up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not fun at all to, I mean, hopefully you're holding yourself, not you, but hopefully people are holding themselves to the standard where they're like, by the time someone comes and tells me I screwed something up, I probably already know it and I'm already beating myself up yeah. over it. You, you know might, what I mean? I might um, verbalize it a little differently than that, but, you know, because I've said to guys, you know, we should have done this. That's, sure. that's what we should have done. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't think they need to know that, yeah, hey, listen, I kind of screwed up, guys. Holy shit, what, I, what was I thinking? You know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think, you know, when we're having yeah. that and I go, you know, and I would tell them, you know, I should have done this. 
you know, we, we should have brought our line here or we should, you know, we should have backed out there or, or whatever it might be, but I might present it a little differently. Still humble and still saying, Hey, listen, you know, I kind of messed up, but I don't think they want to hear that. I messed up. <laughs> no, no. And, and you know, something I think is a good way to, I think it's good to bring those situations to them. Like, you know, Hey, I think next time we should do X, Y, and Z. I, I think it's one of those things that, um, I think when you've worked with people long enough and they know who you are and they know what to expect from you, they, they kind of know what you're getting at. I think, um, you know, I, I think there's well, definitely something to be said when you come up and you're like, yeah, uh, Hey guys, next time we should try and do X, Y, and Z. Well, and, and, and that, that's another great term that I use a lot is that expectation. And everybody's like, sure. what do they expect of me? Well, listen, you've got to get that playing. You know, when you, when you know, when I know what they expect of me, I'm hoping that they know what I expect of them. That's a two-way street. It isn't like, what are their expectations? Well, here, here's my expectations that, you know, that I can give an order that it's, and it's done without equivocation. It's, it, they, you know what I mean? You know, my, their expectations, I'm going to keep them safe and I'm going to give them everything they need to be safe and every, you know, every other stuff that they need in the firehouse, you know? So when building that trust, you know, that, that term of expectations kind of, kind of is interlaced in that they're not separate you, you know they're not so, just like risk on the fire ground and, and obligation you can't look at our obligation to the public and our risk as two separate things when you're making those decisions our obligation to the public and the risk it takes to do that have to be interlaced in our decision making process if we try to separate those two things then you know you're going to be sitting here scratching your head trying to make a decision They've got to be interlaced. So, so expectations and trust, again, those, those terms are interlaced also. And consistency, being able to okay. do those things. Decisiveness, consistency, there's tons of them. Empathy. Sure, sure. Time after time after time, you know, and more often than not, you know, they know exactly what they're getting from you. They probably have a good idea of the manner in which that you're going to make your decision. They're probably, I don't want to say predict your, your decision, but, you know, I think there's something to be said uh, about working with people where they kind of look at you and say, hey, you know, LT, captain, sergeant, whatever. And they say, hey, we know you like X, Y, and Z, so this is what we did. Or, well, you know, you, hey. You want to create an environment where first, you know, you know, um, orders are, are followed without equivocation. They just do them, right? Sure. When, when you, and, and even more than that, you, you want to create an environment within your company where you don't have to give those orders. You get off the rig, you turn around, and they're already stretching the right line. Sure. They don't need to be told to do that. You know, they're already heading for the front door. They, you know, they know my MO, but, you know, primary means of egress. They don't need to be told to do that. And you do that through training and, and, and trust, and, and there's that expectation thing, and there's that consistency thing again. They, they're all, they all, those things build up to getting off the fire truck and it's a well-oiled machine as I'm getting to try to get, you know, get around the side of the building, maybe get a peek at the rear. I can come back to the front. That line's already at the front door being flaked out the way I taught them to flake that line out, you know? So all those things, that's the environment you're looking to create where I get off that rig and I don't have to say a word. That machine just starts working. You know, I think there's a good feeling when you can, when you know, you can go to calls where the only thing in your mind is, hey, let's look at what needs to get done. What's our, what are our goals for this particular fire or mm -hmm. call or whatever it is? And you say, all right, I know X, Y, and Z needs to get done. 
and you turn around and there is not a shadow of a doubt that the guys behind you or next to you are going to do it. They're going to know what to do. They're going to know where to start. And you fly, you fall into place where you fall into place to, to get the, get the job accomplished. Um, I, I think there's something to be said about that. And that's a very good feeling as an officer, when you look and you know, I don't have to worry about any of this because I know they know their jobs. I'm going to focus on my priorities, check up on these guys. They know the goal. The end goal is for the fire to go out in a single family house. They know all the steps they, and they know my expectation is the fire needs to go out and you don't even have to, you don't have to say a word. Well, those expectations can carry over too. One of the things I tell people is, you know, when the, the firehouse aspect, if, if you're doing paperwork and there's a knock on your door and the guy and one of the members come up and say, Hey, uh, we're going to be drilling down the kitchen. If you want to come downstairs, you know, they close the door and you're like, wow, they're drilling on their own. Now they know my expectations that, you know, drills was a non-negotiable, you know, I used to get knocks all the time. Hey, we're going to be in the basement doing the mass, the, uh, the maze or working on the door. If you want to come down, I'd stop what I would doing. I would walk downstairs and I wouldn't say a word. It was their drill. You know, it wasn't my drill, it was theirs. And and that's another thing, you know, like you talk about that well-oiled machine and the fire round, you know, it, if it starts to carry over back and they're, and they're drilling on their own in the firehouse, you know, that's when you've, you, you starting to, to come to the top and, and, and you're that officer of that company. Sure. No, that's, no, I agree. That's, that's some, uh, very solid wisdom, Tim. Hey, do you, Tim, this has been a fantastic discussion. Uh, you know, you obviously, you obviously are very well experienced. You have a lot of knowledge when it comes to, uh, leadership. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in complete awe, to be honest with you. This, this has been fantastic. And there's been a lot of really good things to take away for our listeners. And, and I really hope that they do before we go. Um, what's a good place people can reach out to you at? Do you have social media, anything like that? Uh, I always give out my email address. It's E N G 88 P K at gmail.com. And if anybody has any questions, um, I've done a couple podcasts and I always get phone calls, but just shoot me an email first and then, uh, and then uh, we'll get together somehow. Fantastic. So Tim, again, thank you. Uh, you know, I greatly appreciate this and thank you so much for your time. Um, everybody, please like subscribe and share to our podcast, share them with your coworkers and friends and uh, reach out to us on social media with Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we're on all of them. And thank you all for listening. Tip the Spear Leadership. Thanks, guys. And have a good day. Thanks for having me.